0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. This episode features an interview with Phil Robb, founder and president of Beta, a software-powered retailer. Phil has also held marketing roles with Nest, Nintendo, and Gap. In this episode, Phil talks all about the future of retail and experiential marketing. He discusses where the industry is headed, the supposed retail apocalypse, and how marketers can adjust to the changing retail landscape. Enjoy.
1: Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes.
2: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. To my right, in a amazing headquarters in downtown San Francisco, we're at Betas HQ. Is Lauren Vaccarello, what's going on?
3: Not much. I'm so excited to be here right now. Thank you for, for letting us in, You know, giving us some space and spending some time with us.
2: Absolutely! Thanks for having me. I'm uh, super excited. That's so, Philip, you have a great background in marketing, but you're also a lawyer. So, I feel like we gotta <laughs> do we take everything you, for a grain of salt, or like what's going on? Do here? I
3: need to sign anything? Is this going to be it's, you know used against us or for us later?
4: Not, no, you know, and I, I kind of um, I made the the decision real early on, so uh, that I would ne- I've never actually practiced law, just the JD, um, which. Oddly enough, there's, I think, about, I think we have three individuals in the office who have JDs that yeah. uh, have, like, no background actually practicing law. In addition, you know, we also do have in-house counsel, but she keeps us in check. So, she's not in the room now, so I think we're so good, we're to good. Go. Oh, okay. So, we're good. Oh, so we're good All right, close her off.
3: <laughs> I was like, all bets <laughs> yeah. off now.
4: Yeah.
2: right. <laughs> uh, you know, you have a, a great background, as I mentioned. You've worked at places like Gap, Nest, Nintendo, and now you are a co-founder of Beta. Can you share a little bit more about kind of what your role is currently?
4: Sure, I'm the uh, I'm the president, uh, and as you mentioned, I am one of the uh, co-founders of Beta.
2: And then you recently, as in
4: like very recently or pretty recently,
2: shifted from CMO to president. What was that like?
4: I'd say for the, about the first two years uh, operated in the kind of the CMO capacity. And, you know, but I mean, in a startup, to be honest with you, I mean, you're wearing so many different hats. Um, it would really kind of shift almost, you know, weekly as to the types of things. It was, you know, kind of all hands on deck and, you know, whatever was needed, you know, different people would jump in. But, you know, at first it really focused on the the store experience, you know, designing and building out our stores the kind of what the customer and the partner experience look like. Um, and then ultimately, you know, going out and building a lot of the, the PR and awareness for for the brand. And then uh, it was a little over a year ago, probably awesome. Now, almost about a year and a half ago, I actually shifted over into uh, the president role where I oversee all of the day to day operations of the business.
2: And so, share some of the scale of what you've built at Beta. And by the way, for our listeners, uh, if you want to follow along, you just go to
4: B8TA.com. That is correct. And that's actually there's a there's a whole story behind that. Yeah, but, but that's for yeah. the lawyers actually. But it's- <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that's for lawyers. Um,
2: yeah, but so what's how many people are, are visiting? What's what's this retail as a service? Okay. Like how is this kind of a new category that that you all are creating? Yeah,
4: yeah you know, if you go back about four years ago, uh, when we started the business in, in early 2015, we really had this, myself and my co-founders, we were at Nest previously together. And you know, at our time at Nest, I think we recognized that whether you take a brand that was you know had the stature of, of Ness or ultimately being you know after the the Google acquisition where you know we had the opportunity to go out and build a lot of you know brand awareness we were looking at retail and the platform of our retail partners as a way to kind of really grow our business we were finding through a lot of the data the research that we did that ultimately people were engaging with our brand at retail regardless of how much PR you did that would kind of the PR would get you the the, the nice b2b kind of headlines and all totally. your all the friends and mm-hmm. you know in the bubble that we live in would kind of be like, oh, that's amazing. But at the end of the day, you know, as you're trying to kind of grow this mass consumer brand, you know, somebody you know outside of the context of you know that, that reads TechCrunch or any other blog or or posts like that really didn't have the insight I think into you know what Nest was doing. But when the minute you put that on an end cap at like a Home Depot or a Lowe's, people understood, and and it was really about kind of talking about that value proposition. But the problem is that we recognize is that there were a lot of small hardware companies that didn't have the, the marketing dollars or the clout of uh, a Nest, a Google to be able to go out and to do that. And so what we said was like, how do you start to kind of democratize that a little bit? How do you kind of make retail accessible? And then at the same time is the ability to capture data at retail was much different than it was years ago, right? And so we also said, how do you almost kind of think about reverse engineering the online online world of the ability to capture, you know, uh, information to be able to do that in the physical world. And so finally, you know, we started to marry the two. And and that's kind of how the the whole idea really of beta was born.
2: So looking at this from a marketing perspective, I mean, I think it's so fascinating that you have brands like Google and Boosted and Quip and all these things that are that you're partnered with. Yeah. But how do you all make money? Because this is a, a different a different type of business model than I think a lot of folks that are listening might be familiar with.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the traditional wholesale retail model is a manufacturer seeks out a retailer uh, for distribution or vice versa. A big, goes, box store, a big box store. big box store, exactly right. It goes to this very arduous process of kind of line item review where the maker goes in and has to pitch the the brand or the buyer. The buyer then has to make a decision whether or not they want to bring this product in. If so, like how much of the product are they going to buy? Because they've opened to buy dollars. Mm-hmm. And it literally, it can take, you know, six to 12 months to get your product on shelf. And we said, gosh, that process is really painful. It's a real pain in the ass, honestly, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, how do you, as a maker, if you're, I mean, you have a maker, you may have a run, you may have one product, right? And you may have a runway of, like, literally six months, like, you know, and you may (laughs) run out of money at some point in time. How do you get your product to market faster? And what, so we said was, like, one, we wanted to create a platform where, it was almost like a marketplace, right? Like, if I've got a product, I submit it, and I can be, you know, having my product in a beta store, Mm You know, early days we onboarded a product. I'm not kidding you. In four hours, wow. their oh, wow. office is their office literally was like a block down the street from our uh, store in Palo Alto. They they got on, they signed our uh, you know signed the agreement online, and literally somebody came over with a box of the inventory, <laughs> and we were selling. Now, I mean, things take a little bit longer now, um, just because we do have more defined processes in place,
3: and not everyone's but, up the street,
4: and not everyone's up the street. But the idea is that we brands subscribe to space and services. Mm-hmm within our stores. So, we don't make any money off of the the sale of the good. For us it's more about we envision that the retail is becoming much more of an advertising and a media model than it is actually a physical channel for sales. Because very often a consumer comes in, they see a product, especially within consumer electronics or something that's a considered purchase, you may say, all right, well, I want to go home and do my research. I want to find out if I can find the the, the item at a cheaper cost. I want to talk, you know, to my my spouse, my partner, significant other to say, like, is this something real, that we really want? Do we want to spend, you know, spend this money? But you may not go back to that same place that you saw the item. You are going to then, you know, maybe go online, which we've seen is the, you know, mm-hmm. the growing totally. um, yeah. uh, push towards e-commerce. But, we recognize that physical retail still plays a very important part in the decision-making process for consumers. Um, they want to engage. They want to touch, feel, and, and have that tactile experience. And so we said, well, how do you start to monetize that differently? And so brands subscribe to space and services within our stores versus uh, a wholesale model. The way that it's different is that it's on consignment and a brand. So you can still actually f- physically purchase the product in our stores, we just don't actually make any of the money. We remit all of the sale back to the maker.
3: and it's this really interesting sort of physical representation of the digital world because customers and consumers want to shop, they want to browse, they want to understand something, but yeah. you're presenting them with an environment where they're not forced to buy. they can do this. One thing I'd love your your perspective on is at so many large retailers right now that have an online presence in a physical store, A lot of times that's two completely different divisions with different Mm -hmm. P&Ls where if they buy online, the the fact that they went to the actual store three times doesn't matter or vice versa. How do you think that plays a role in or does that play a role in the fact that there's so many malls that are now shutting down, retail stores that are now shutting down?
4: Yeah, you, you're starting to find that I think the more savvy retailers are are realizing like that they have to break through those mm-hmm. barriers. When I was at Gap, it was exactly that, right? There was a a whole division that was dedicated to, it was I think Gapping Direct, and it was literally the, it housed Banana Republic, Old Navy, and Gap.com at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, there's a, the, the three brands when I was there, and. It was a completely separate separate PL mm-hmm. and division and operated differently from the stores. That's and crazy. you know, what you start to see is brands say no, like that because they were competing against one another. Yeah. Bottom line. Like, <laughs> and, it's crazy. and
3: it puts company first versus customer first.
4: Yes. Right. And but now a lot of Brands are changing, or mm. companies are changing, because they realize that that can't happen, right? And So you start to see, you know, the idea of buy online, pick up in the store, mm-hmm. and, and you have to look at things differently. And I think that the thing I laugh at still is that if you look at the way Wall Street looks at the success or, or of a retail business, is it's what are your comp sales? Like honestly, that, that's ridiculous. Like who cares? Like Look at other KPIs, like look at traffic numbers, look at engagement data that's mm-hmm. happening. People may be going into that store, but like literally, I mean, I did this very often now. I will go into a store and I'll buy something online from that store mm-hmm. while well, I'm store. standing there yeah. because I just don't want to take it home. Maybe I'm going out to dinner that night. I don't totally. want to carry it. It's it, it.
3: free shipping. Or I they need...
4: had a different color online. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. What I tried
3: add? this on. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't have my size. I tried it on a right. different color. Now I want this. Yeah. Or what still happens is the price is better online, mm-hmm. yeah. even though yeah. I'm buying it from the right. store's website versus the store in person. Yeah.
4: And what? I travel a lot, too. I do mm-hmm. that. I mean, I did that recently. I was in, in a Nike store down in Santa Monica. Um, we have a store right around the corner. And and I went in, and they needed a new pair of running shoes. And I was like, I don't have any room left in my bag I out there and you know, had, had the product shipped because – you know, that's a company who's smart in the way that they think about it. They, mm-hmm. they can totally. do that. They can execute it. They'll ship it to you for free because you're in the store. And they, I mean, they're thinking about how understanding that it's it's one. We are one whole kind of entity, and we yep. need to be thinking about that in that that way versus other brands that are still very siloed. So I want to get back to something really quick. When you said by, what was it, comp sales? Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to the listeners? Yes, yeah, so, sure. I mean, the, the way that, A publicly traded retail company is viewed is that if they have, let's say they have 500 stores, and of those 500 stores, the street will go out and say, well, you know, last year you did 100 million dollars in sales. This year they did, you know, 102 million dollars in sales. Right, the stores that have been open for a year, so you're seeing a two percent lift. Well. But the problem is, is their online business actually may have grown by, you know, their their total sales may have been you know, $150 million because 50% of their sales are coming from online. Like you should be looking at that whole number and what the growth is rather than the performance of one of those stores because they could be seeing a lot of traffic and in, in those stores may be doing extremely well mm-hmm. um, from an awareness standpoint and really paying dividends back to the brand from a marketing perspective. I'm going to kind of start riffing here off this, but it's like, you know, I was, there's a, a quote, I think it was by Jen Rubio, who's one of the co-founders of a company called Away. And she said, our stores are essentially billboards yeah. for us, right? I mean, that's the way they view them. They're, they're profitable billboards for mm-hmm. us. And that's, you know, that's what retail is and it's becoming.
3: And I mean, I love, I love that way of thinking about it because stores are where you physically get to go and look and touch and maybe explore a little bit more, but that's not your, your only vehicle. And if right. you're just looking at it as, How many sales do I get in this store? Okay, now this doesn't make sense. I'm shutting down the store. How short-sighted are retailers being by doing that? Because now you lose that entire basically advertising channel. Yep,
2: completely. Yeah, I mean, we... I recently bought couches from uh from Ashley Furniture. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Ashley. Uh, <laughs> not a sponsor, but hey, if yeah. you guys, you know, hit us up. Why not free uh, yeah, couches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll we'll talk about some couches. But uh yeah, the the, <laughs> the discount that I got, like I was in the store that I got while I was in the store had like basically like an expiration of mm-hmm. of whatever it was. And when I went home, I was like outside of the search radius for that particular store. Mm-hmm. Or, or whatever the thing was, but basically it was like, okay, I walked around. I looked at every single couch in the yeah. entire store. I found the ones that I sat on them and me and my girlfriend sat on them. And then we got up and we we're like, okay, Like took a photo of the thing, went home and like ordered them online, and it was like that same discount which ended up carrying over somehow. But it's like that's how people like the fun part is being in the store. The thing that gives you the dopamine rush that like is exciting about shopping Mm -hmm. is like going out and looking at stuff IRL, right?
3: Totally. It's I think Tesla gets this so well right now because Tesla has also looked at how do you build an entire online buying experience for a car and not for a cheap car, and has in a lot of ways is trying to change the model on how you buy cars. And you can go to a Tesla dealership, drive around, figure this out, and get to experience the car. But you can also do all the customizations online. And I have, this is going to be such a San Francisco thing to
4: say, (laughs) and I apologize (laughs) to
3: everybody when I say this. I have a friend who bought their their Tesla online from their couch in 20 minutes and said, I want this, 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 and this. And here's my customization. And I'm done. And Mm -hmm. it's because... They've also seen the car, touch the car in different experiences. Yeah, right. and, and their
2: showrooms are packed.
3: And their showrooms yeah, are way. packed. All and ways. it's like, I know what I want. This is, this is fundamentally what I want. And having experienced that brand and using the, to your point, the actual physical location more of as a 3D billboard.
4: That's exactly what no. it is. It's you, you still crave these tactile experiences. Yes. You want to go out there. But it's almost like, too, the the idea of like, you know, when you go home and there's a box at your front door mm. or when you get home and there's multiple boxes, it's like every day, like it's that kid in you. It's like Christmas I all over presents. again. Oh. Yeah. I mean, you're basically sending yourself presents. Right. And, you know, it's like when I was a kid, getting a piece of mail. Right. I mean, my parents would get always get the mail. But like, oh, if I got one. So it's, like, it's that same philosophy, I think, around, you know, that with online and, and there's that convenience factor. But at the same time it is a pain in the ass and it's a hassle, right? If we have to deal, if you don't know what that looks like and and things like that.
2: So you've written about brick and mortar isn't dying. It's changing, or you've talked about this at length. I think that it's a similar thing that we see in like digital publishing and new media and this sort of stuff is like the business model is a lot of times the problem, not the actual content, right? right? Like the products that a lot of these companies are like, have are great. Like you say, take something like Toys R Us, right? Mm-hmm. Kids loved all the toys in Toys R Us, right? Yeah. But the, the business model ended up not being the thing that, that made sense. How do you see the business model of brick and mortar
4: changing into this hybrid kind of world? You're absolutely right. First of all, it's, I mean, there was this whole notion of this you know, retail, this apocalypse. Oh, you know, the, the world's coming to an end and there's no retail. Like, no, that's absolutely not the case, right? Totally. I mean, and are there categories where things are shifting to be more online based, like around commodities? Absolutely, right. I mean, the things whether you call them commodities or repeatable purchases, right? The things that. You know exactly what you want and it's a lot easier for them to have shipped to your door like toilet paper mm-hmm. and you know, toothpaste and and toilets. Like all of those kind of very staples that you know, you use the same brands day in and day out. You don't necessarily have to think about and it becomes routine, right? That is, those are the kind of things where I think that online will continue to thrive mm-hmm. and, in, and in at some point, other than just the immediate kind of purchase that you need for something, will change the dynamic of that space. Mm-hmm. But- I think the the business model itself, and you you nailed it, right? I mean, in that it's the that's what the the fundamental shift. In the same way that media and new media and digital media, it's, it's just adapting to the world that we live in. And, and the world that we live in is that that you now have mobile technology that's at your fingertips. We now have the ability to go online and order things and have it you know convenient. Even e commerce is going to change, mm-hmm. right? It's going to get to the point where like today, everything just gets delivered to your doorstep. At some point in time, it's going to be like I'm sitting in a coffee shop at a corner. I just want somebody to deliver it to me because right. it's more convenient than worrying about if my package is going to get stolen yeah. and yeah. all of these other types of things that's going to happen. That's going to shift yeah. at some point. But, yeah, go I was
3: ahead. Actually, uh, that's already starting to to shift. If I um, I was down in South America earlier this year, and mm-hmm. there's a company, Rappi, which is will deliver literally whatever you want, wherever you want. Yeah. So if you are sitting in a coffee shop and you say – I really need to get that pair of Nikes or I need a hundred bucks right now from the ATM, this company will, you go to your phone, Mm -hmm. you figure it out and they will deliver nearly anything you want to nearly any location. And it is rethinking and sort of combining different industries of here is e-commerce and retail, but then here's also this whole sort of what we see as like a Postmates type service and thinking and evolving. And I, I, it's so interesting. So many industries have been disrupted. If you look at, you know, what Amazon did to books, mm-hmm. these industries have been disrupted. And I believe, and I sometimes fall into this, we fall into this place of that already got disrupted. It's done. Yeah. We disrupted retail. We have online, we have e-commerce. Yeah. So, you know, cool, yeah. we're, we're finished. Right. But it's now, what is the next evolution of this? Mm-hmm. And where does this go now that we have a physical retail world that's changing mm-hmm. yeah. this online world and now we're sort of going back to wanting these different types of experiences and how do we keep innovating and keep pushing this
4: yeah no absolutely i mean that's going to happen and i think you know the you'll start to see that evolution i think in the both in the e-commerce side of things mm-hmm. of how and where i think not where the transaction happens necessarily because i think that is kind of predicated on the mobile technology and, and what the future of that is. But what we do is the technology exists of like where actually that product is getting delivered and how I'm engaging with it mm-hmm. and when. And then similarly in the physical space, yeah, the business model we just see is is evolving as well. And that's you know, fundamentally what we think and why so many retailers have, old school retailers have shuttered their doors mm-hmm. is because of that reason is they just, they weren't Ahead of the curve, and by the time that they finally caught up with them, it was too late.
3: And something that makes me think of, and Ian knows that I'm prone to the non sequitur tangent. Um, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so <laughs> weird when I do this. Um, when I think about sort of this whole world of disruption, and do you remember the movie You've Got Mail? Yeah,
4: yeah. Where
3: the uh, the big with box Tom Hanks
4: and
0: Meg Ryan. The Tom Hanks yeah, and Meg Ryan. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. The big box bookstore comes and destroys yes. all the like <laughs> little local mom and pop bookstores. Yeah. And then what happened, you know, five years later is Amazon came in Mm -hmm. and totally like destroyed the big 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 box bookstore. And now what I go to all the time and I love going to is the small little local mom and pop bookstores, which is where I go. And I pay a premium for a book I can buy online and Mm -hmm. I still spend an obscene amount of money on Amazon because I like the presents all the time. But it's the how... How that's completely changed and evolved, and yeah. now you have these small businesses that are now sort of at the heart of communities again. And I think of some of the work that that Bait is doing, and what you can start to do for those small retailers and the mm-hmm. you know the mom and pop stores that are saying, "I've got this new product that I'm really excited about, yeah. but I don't have huge distribution arms, and how do I get on this?" And maybe I can. It's go the on- number
2: one problem for every yes. every single product is yeah. distribution. Absolutely. We, I mean, we end up talking about distribution pretty much every episode of Marketing Trends because, like, it's the name of the game. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, and I think that the way that doing these clusters, doing this, you know, the best of beta by Mm -hmm. things like. Earliest Adopter, Form and Function, Power Traveler, uh, you know, Practical Life Hacker, mm-hmm. these sort of taste clusters that allow people to opt into these different things. Um, what I find so fascinating about these ideas, like a lot of the products, the vast majority of the products on beta are fun or functional. Yeah. Like, they're all things that you're like, man, that's like, I remember, you know, like when you go to Brookstone in the mall and you're like, <laughs> how does all of this stuff exist? I was yeah. like, I yeah. want the thing that washes, you know, whatever. Like yeah. you, there is a power massager on, I, I sent a link to my girlfriend last yeah. night as we were prepping for the episode. I was like, power massager? You should <laughs> check this out. You can check it out on beta. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll pick it up in, in San Francisco. But, but, yeah, this sort of stuff is like, and so I'm really curious how you, you all combine the human element with like the AI with the machine learning because right. I think that this is like you see it as you know Netflix is a pioneer of this. We talk about it a lot, a lot of the time. The mix of human curation
4: mm-hmm. and machine curation is is really powerful. I think we've had a lot of different kind of philosophies around this at first. I mean, at one time, at one point in time, we were very adamant that we were going to have this open marketplace um, and that we were never going to curate product, right? It was that we wanted, like, if you have that product and you want to bring it, having it sold in our stores, that you could easily do that just with a click of a button. You know, you have to be, I think, sometimes, I think as we started to evolve, you know, you had to understand, like, are there certain things we have to be cognizant of? I mean, because all of a sudden you could have... 20 connected light bulbs, and then you just have this connected light bulb store, right? I mean, so you have to be, like, aware of the types of things coming in. You want to make sure you have a, a good product mix. So we, we found that balance. I mean, the idea still is that you want to, like, we want to be the opportunity where it can be completely accessible for brands. You know, we do a little bit of kind of uh, kind of QA, I would say, in that, ensuring that there's, there's stuff that, you know, it's, from a safety perspective as well as kind of a decency type of thing the power massager is all on the up and up so it's it's all good the uh, this thing it, looks intense it is it is, like, it is highly intense you, you, it? Oh, yeah. on, it you should up. see we'll, when you we'll like get link it in it. store in there it's like you know it really can work out like you know, the, we'll the <laughs> <show> knots notes. Uh <laughs> this is bad radio oh here, but the sorry for him? the radio yeah, people yeah,
3: yeah. I I have something like that it's mm-hmm. completely on the up and up it's it basically takes the idea of a foam roller and like a hundred it's pretty intense the one that I have sounds like a power My neighbor upstairs when I was using it, because for people who know me well, I work my body so much that I'm always (laughs) sore and in pain. So I have this thing. I have the Theragun. This is way cheaper than a Theragun. You guys should try this one. The Theragun. Why are
4: you name dropping? Sorry. Yeah. The, the, t- the, the Tim Tam. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a good one.
3: <laughs> so loud that the woman who lives upstairs from me was like, were you doing construction last night? <laughs> That's funny. I was like, no, my yeah. quads are so sore. And yeah. I was trying to break up the lactic acid. And yeah. she's like. Yep, you know yeah. I can hear everything. I was like, "Yep,
4: still gonna use this." So, anyways, sorry. Yeah, no worries. I was, it's funny there was there, I don't there was one brand that was a competitive brand that, that had a, an ad on on Instagram, and I saw it at first. I was like, "Where's this going?" Like, <laughs> at first, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ace man, my my hamstrings are ridiculously tight. That,
3: that's going to be amazing.
4: <laughs> yeah, um,
2: yeah. So, I mean, I think that this the human curation is really important. Because I think in this world of, like, there's just so much stuff now. Yeah. And we just, you know, did a whole podcast about, like, trust and marketing. Like, this idea of, like, having people who kind of have your back. You know, obviously we're all in this to, like, yeah. get products yeah. that we love and to make money and everything. Mm-hmm. But just people that you yeah. trust to give you yeah. good stuff.
3: Totally. I,
4: think the, uh, sorry, I think the one thing that, that I would say is that it's a balance. Because what we found is if you go back to the old kind of this old-school model that we talked about earlier, this wholesale. If it's up to a buyer, though, to decide Mm -hmm. whether they like it or not or whether it's going to sell or not, Mm -hmm. then what ends up happening is that they're only bringing in products they think are going to necessarily be a home run and they're not going to take a risk on something. So for for us, what we've said is this idea of curation, it's a balance to say, like, well, our model also allows us to take risks, right? Mm -hmm. We've brought in a lot of products that we were all kind of internally, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure about that Mm -hmm. one. And it ends up being, you know, our bestseller, right? Because, again, the idea is with beta, it's around discovery. Come in, learn about it, see it, check it out, get your hands on it. And if you don't like it, the data is going to tell us really quickly, Mm -hmm. not just sales data, but like data of interaction, engagement data. Are people trying it? Are people like giving this visceral reaction when they try something? And then they're going to be like, you know what? No, this just isn't working. It's time to move on. But then we're not stuck with inventory that we have to discount. And and all of the kind of things, and that's where the old mentality and the model got people in trouble because they would either, you know, you would either win big or lose big. Um, and if you lose big, then you're just sitting on just a ton of inventory, yeah, and totally. you don't know what yeah. to do with
3: it. Yeah, and that's where you can only basically buy products that you think are going to win big, yeah. because right. otherwise you're stuck with all this inventory. Yeah. And what I love that that you're doing is you're putting these products in a story. You're seeing how people react to it. Is this interesting? Are people using it? Are they trying yep. it? And you're taking that data and making useful decisions for your for your business and for the brands yep. based on that Absolutely. information. Yeah. So you're right. You can take chances. You're providing a better experience for your yep. customers because the actions and activities that they take then sort of yeah. fuel everything else.
4: Yeah, one of the features that we have is we allow – brands to have a dialogue with our beta testers, mm-hmm. which are what you call our sales associates. They literally through we've created a chat functionality where they can submit like questions and like in real time or within 24 hours, depending on the the complexity of the types of questions and the data they want, they'll turn around and get an answer and say, oh yeah, like you know, this customer, you know, we've seen customers coming in and you know they prefer the white one versus the blue one oh, because cool. of this for this very reason. I mean like literally again goes back to technologies enable that ability. For there to be dialogue between a beta tester, whether it be in Austin or in New York or Chicago, with a maker who could be, you know, halfway around the world. So we have this thing that we talk a lot about on on
2: marketing trends about like kind of this like what's old is new sort of thing of like you follow trends of like how people behaved back in the day and those things end up re-emerging as super mm-hmm. successful things. You know, something like HQ Trivia. It's like, hey, people like trivia a yeah. lot. It's like, it's almost like there's a show called yeah. Jeopardy where people yeah, yeah. just sit around so and talk about no trivia, right? right. right. So all this sort yeah. of stuff. <laughs> so I have a r- request for product from you. Yeah. Um, can we get like a beta live where it's like basically QVC but for beta <laughs> projects? And if you want someone to build it, the mission's standing by. Right. But I, it's like I just think of all of this, especially you see yeah. it on Shark Tank all the time where they talk about like QVC and all this stuff. But yeah. there was literally a show... You know, there still is. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. There, uh, no,
3: there there is. I have people mm-hmm. that I grew up with that love them some QVC. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, but, yeah. But,
2: but I mean, all of this stuff like for so long was like you know you tune into this thing and that's how you learn about new projects. Yeah. Like, is there anything on the horizon where you're you know constantly thinking about new ways to present new things to to your customers?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're really and I think there's a, a huge opportunity around that. And I mean, I, I really like that idea. Like, maybe start. Yeah. Right? Yeah, maybe you want to be the host? Hey, we're in. (laughs) We're ready.
2: I mean, Chad would... Be our CEO Chad yeah. would do backflips he's yeah. like he's like riding around on boosted boards and doing yeah. all sorts of stuff he, we, we own no joke we own he does this stuff already like he'll buy like we have like three drones in our yeah. company we have like all this stuff because he's always he like is like the ultimate earliest yeah, adopter yeah. Right, guy right. and is just constantly buying stuff we've had three different massage chairs in our office yeah, nice. we got rid of the massage chair I know uh, it's yeah, disappointing it's gone. no yeah, it's, yeah. it's like he, he keeps
4: it moving uh, if he doesn't like it but right.
2: Yeah, no. Yeah. We're, I, I just think that stuff it's, is so interesting.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do we do a couple of things. We've got uh, this one thing called Founder Series where we'll bring in founders from a lot of you know, the different companies cool. and we'll host them in different stores. And, and we will stream that live and we talk about the products that the company has and you know, really get kind of an understanding of, of the founder and their thinking behind, you know, and the philosophy behind the brand. We've we've done that in probably about half of our stores we continue to operate that series. What about like the mission-driven products? Like it yeah. seems like there's just – I
2: think this is going to be an absolute tidal wave. We're already starting to see it of like consumers, things like Tom's and all these yeah. you know, sort of things that have a social impact, social impact goods. Right. Oh, man, shout out to the peanut butter. I forget what it's called. Man, anyways, but like things with social impacts. Are you seeing that the way that those with companies are – Sorry.
3: Is that what it was? Uh,
2: but, so, yeah. Justin's,
3: Justin's. Justin's. Justin's yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. But yeah –
2: like how these these founders can market these new products and the way that they're actually like baking social good into mm-hmm. these is a way to
4: reach more people. Have you seen that at all? I think it's social good. It's also the story behind it. Right? Totally. I mean, there's so many. And then that's one of the things that we, the reason with the founder Series, we also work closely to highlight, you know, every month when we bring new products in, we have a newsletter that goes out where we try to really feature and talk about and get to the root of a lot of these founders. Because a lot of them have very amazing stories of how the business came to be, why. I mean, you know, as a look, as a founder myself, I mean it always I find it intriguing. You always you always love these these stories of of, you know, why did you come up with that idea? How? What problem were you trying to solve? You know, on the flip side, there's also some of them too, where you're kind of like,
3: maybe you shouldn't Ahh. tell that story.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and you you start to sit there and go, like, yeah, you know what, you 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 understand that there's this balance and this, but the, but the one thing I think is this idea is this euphoric entrepreneurial spirit that, that a lot of brands have. And, and I just love that, I think, tapping into that. And sometimes it's, it, it is, it's there is a social impact, as you mentioned, and we have a lot of brands that that have kind of done that. Um, other times it's just a passion for a variety of reasons, right? It could be something that happened in someone's life yep. that really caused them to kind of want out, to go out and do this. So, Speaking of entrepreneurial spirit, you recently acquired
2: Brickwork, yes. um, which was a startup. Can you share like why you did that and what's kind of the the reasoning the larger reasoning towards where you're looking into the future with this
4: yeah absolutely so we we recently acquired a company called brickwork it's a new york based software saas company we ultimately found like so what brickwork does is you know, they are a platform for building store locator enabling the ability to to schedule events in store work with a lot of your know, major clients like the likes of um, nike saks fifth avenue Bonobos, you know, and a host of, of, of other, you know, major retailers who partner with Brickwork and now, and now Beta. And the idea really was there is that they have the ability to, as we start to think about, you know, the store being kind of this media and advertising platform, the thing that Brickwork has the ability to do through the software is kind of tr- take that attribution model, right? To yeah. understand in the journey, the minute that I start to look for a, you know, I want to know where the closest Nike store, the closest Saks Fifth Avenue is, that I can go on their website and all of a sudden it takes you through that whole journey of conversion of of like intent to go into a store, schedule that appointment or that, or schedule an event, and then go in, meet with somebody, talk with somebody, and then ultimately, you know, where where they're or whether they're purchased can intent in the conversion, and so it just mirrors up very nicely. Not only as a tool that we will integrate into our own stores, but then also as we continue to work with retailers, because at the end of the day, you know, we think that the RAS model that we've coined and uh, invented. At the heart of it, it's really also working with retailers. It's not just about opening beta stores. It's, it's really changing the dynamic of the of the marketplace. And you know, we work very closely. In fact, you know, Macy's is not only an investor of ours, but also you know a client uh, and a partner of ours who we work closely with. So.
2: And kind of explain how the localization. I mean, there's so there's such a huge movement towards buy local, towards some of these yeah. things, like and how. With the things that you're working on, that you can accentuate what local companies are doing and put it near local people.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the the really unique things that our platform enables and on the software side of things, in addition to our own stores, is it's twofold. It's one, if you look at our own stores, we do actually have each one of our stores because it's of different size has different products, right? And, and so we really try to tailor, you know, the products, you know, maybe to a different marketplace or brands that say, I really want to be focusing on, you know, the Texas market, or mm-hmm. I want to be focusing in on on New York right now. So we see that at the same time, we've also, the, the platform itself with Macy's, we've partnered with, we're building kind of the backend system for their market at Macy's. And what Macy's has done is really said reaching out to local makers in a lot of ways to say, you know what, maybe it's a, a store in Pittsburgh or a store mm-hmm. in Detroit where, you know, they can now, somebody who has a, a product that's made locally, whether it be a t-shirt or maybe there's even some sort of you know, food concept or something that they have that they want to bring in, but aren't ready to go national, but they know that, hey, you know what, I can take up a small space here in in my hometown and mm-hmm. be able to like get everyone to really rally around that. That's so, so
2: cool. It's so like founder centric too. That is the ultimate, you know, hey mom, I made it. I'm in I'm in the I'm Amaz- in base, right? right? Yeah. But that's it's like being able to add that type of value to people and like and that's what's so exciting, I think, about beta and this idea of centralized but decentralized ability to like put stores in lots of different places and kind of reimagining what is a store. If a store is a place where people go to find cool things, then how can we reimagine those spaces to put cool things? Like it's just a very founder and product centric thing that you can deliver. It's a it's a cool way of doing things. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. So, switching into your kind of founder story and yeah. your background a little bit, what's your favorite Nintendo game? Ooh. Uh,
4: I think of all time, I have to go really old school. It's going to probably be a toss-up between either uh, Tecmo Bowl or uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I oh. think I'm, gonna I'm probably going to go Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Love me some I, Punch-Out. I used
3: to play that game with my yeah. brother. Yeah. but uh, the Nintendo was in my brother's room, not my room. Ah, uh, okay. So I would pick up the controller and go, wait, hey, hang on, wait, wait, wait. How do I, which button? And then he would knock me out. Yeah. And then I'd lose, <laughs> and then I wouldn't be allowed to play anymore because whoever won is the one who got to play. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and this is me just complaining that my brother never let me play video yeah. games. But.
2: So we have a guest question coming at you from Rebecca. Have you ever played a boy in his blob i had never heard i i used to own 140 blob. nintendo yeah. games back in the day i had never heard of this I've game never heard of that and game. she was like this is my girlfriend okay <laughs> she, <laughs> she was like "She's like, so you blob. like if you worked at nintendo you have to ask if he's heard of this i'm like i have literally never blob. heard of this game so i watched it last yeah. night okay we're watching our like, youtube videos yeah. of this and i'm like i have never heard of this game." which
4: would uh um, for nes for nes
2: isn't that crazy yeah yeah, hmm. anyways, we'll link it up in the show notes. All right, definitely. Um, so you worked at Nintendo. Yeah. And Nintendo is like one of the coolest companies, in my opinion. You know, how long, I don't know, it's like yeah. over 100 years old, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, it goes, yeah. dates back to the 1800s. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. Um, talk
3: about a company who just reinvents itself yep. again yes. and again yep. and again. Start
4: making playing cards back in, yeah, in the, like, the 18, right. I think it was the 80s which, or something like that. Which yeah. is
3: insane. And yeah. everyone knows Nintendo. Yep. My parents know Nintendo. Yep. My niece knows yep. Nintendo. Yep. This is multi, multi-generational.
4: I, I, have, I have to tell you a funny story of, of the, that exact yes. same thing. So yeah. I was, when I was at Nintendo, I headed up all of our retail, retail marketing, and we were one of, and Nintendo had one store at the time, and so that kind of fell under under my team. Um, like one it, store in the world? In the world. It was called the Nintendo World Store, in fact, <laughs> and it's in Rockefeller <laughs> Plaza oh, in, in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock- yeah, yeah. So, so we were we were trying, we had a ton of like engagement from international tourists that would come in, even like domestic tourists, but we were trying to beef up our local presence amongst New Yorkers and kind of people in the tri-state area. So I get introduced to this guy who ran promotions or sponsorships for the New York Mets. And so we end up like doing this deal where Mario is going to come out for, you know, probably like a half a dozen games a year and he's mm-hmm. going to run the bases with the kids and he's going to promote the Nintendo World Store. Yeah. So I go out, I fly out for, for the first one. Game gets, it was against San Francisco Giants, you know, so I was pretty stoked about that. And, you know. It's going to get the you know the first-class treatment and everything. Game gets rained out, so I'm totally bummed, right? So they reschedule it, I think, for, like, the the next weekend. I, I can't make it, so I don't have the opportunity to go out. So the guy calls me up, and he's like, well, so we're going to do this. And, and I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like, this is going to be a really big deal. You've got Mario out there. Like, these kids are just <laughs> going to go, like, over this. And he's just like – He's like no, and I'm like no, no, you no, you don't understand. Like lose their I'm mind. Like this is gonna you you need you need to have a little bit more process and kind of like crowd control around this and 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 figure this out. Some security of how you're gonna manage all this kind of stuff. And he's like no, 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 we got this. He's like you, he's like no, we do this with Mister Met all the time. And I'm like, and this guy does it, You know, and I was like Mister Met. Like seriously, like you know what I not, mean? Not Mario. Yeah, right. Not Mario. So Monday morning, I get a phone call from him. I mean, I was like, how'd it go? And he's like, well. It went really, it was awesome. There were so many kids out there. He's, But like, you told me, he's like, you were so right. He's like, we were inundated. He's like, there were 200 kids swarming him. Like, we had no, like, you know, oh, like, garden no rails kidding. around this thing. Mario's was, was like, chaos. getting tackled. Right? it's just, yeah, he's, like, he's never seen anything like it. I was like, so, Mr. Met really didn't that, get that? He's like, no, no, and he's like, you were so right. It was just, you know, and you realize the power of that brand, you know, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes if you just don't understand it, you know, if you're not in it, yeah, it was it was amazing. It's such an awesome experience.
2: That's a great story. And <laughs> we talk about all the time about how important marketing making it remarkable is. Yeah. Yes. And when you think about stuff like that, you know, whether it's you know, Mario, Super Mario Three, um, Mario Kart Mario Kart, yeah. any of that stuff, that is like the favorite moment of yeah. so many people's entire yeah. childhood is like playing that with their friends and all that sort of yeah. stuff.
3: I love I was at, Mario Brothers. I was
4: I was in LAX one time, and I went in, like, I had a rental car. I went out, got in the car, for some reason said, like, I, I don't want this car. It was the Car had quite a bit of BO in it. And I was like, all right, I got to go back. So I go back into the rental office, and I said to the woman, I'm like, can I get a, a new car? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's going through my profile. She's like, you work for Nintendo? She's like, the Wii Fit changed my life. She goes, take any car on the lot you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... Okay, she's like, here you go. And she like literally hands me the keys to a Mercedes with like eight miles on it and like charges me $30 for the day. Nice. And I'm like, ah, I'm
2: like. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that Toad picked you up or something. <laughs> yeah, that would have like-
4: been, been pretty amazing, right? In, in a Mario Kart, right? Yeah. And a promotion with GameStop, we created a, a life-size Mario Kart that no we kidding. ended up, yeah, that ended up like a sweepstakes to like a real-life customer who ended up getting it. I think it was a guy like in Tennessee that won it. I mean, the video and the content from that was just like epic. Excellent.
2: That's so great. Yeah.
3: And it's the remarkable experiences because yeah. if you're saying, well. What if your performance metrics on that?
4: Yeah. So what's
3: my ROI yeah. on building the Mario Kart? Yeah. And you're like yeah. seriously thinking yeah. about this the wrong way, guys. Yeah,
4: we're looking at it in smiles, right? At the end of the day, like you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah what's the what's the ROI
2: of, uh, of, of two
3: hundred kids tackling yeah, Mario? Right.
2: right. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's the sort of stuff that you just can't really. I mean, it's like pure long term brand play type stuff. It's like, yeah. how do we make mario appear in you know a child's life every month which i mean is extremely complicated right like how how did you look at and also too in nintendo you have all these games right so obviously mario is like you know iconic but you have all these other games i mean i i'm always curious how you differentiate the game mark, each individual yeah. game marketing, how those companies yeah. market those games versus what's the role of Nintendo right. versus the role of the store?
4: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you like you said, you're writing. I mean, we, if you kind of broke it down, you had the hardware piece, right? I mean, in, in, in Nintendo, you have two pieces of the console. Today, you've got the Switch, uh, you know, Back when I was there, it was the Wii. And then you had the the handheld with the DS. And so we wanted to make sure that you were selling the hardware and understanding all the features and attributes. But we always said that software sold hardware. At the end of the day, you had to have a, a really strong library and content of of games people wanted to play right and we had amazing franchises whether it was Mario or Donkey Kong or Zelda yep. that you know people you know, knew about and then you have kind of like these more niche type of things that you, you know games that you would have that maybe you know that would come out but you had and so you just you would market them differently right I mean your budget to go out and, and launch a big Mario title was going to be vastly different than different than it would to be like you know Kidicris, right or something yeah. really kind of more of that niche type of title same thing like well, you would go out and launch a Pokemon title right I mean yep. you know you know you knew, like, you knew the market potential, and you would look at that versus, you know, looking at the market potential and how much you're going to do, and it would be the difference of, like, am I going to go spend mass campaigns on this and do TV and print and digital out of home or am I just going to stick in an experiential type of things? Or am I going to just stick to something that's, you know, more, you know, very digitally, very niche um, type of marketing? It's just like anything else. I mean, how would you do that stuff
2: now? I mean, like if you're putting back on your, your video game or I guess like entertainment hat, like yeah. what do you think are, you know, with all of your kind of learnings from beta, like what yeah. are some of the things that you're seeing in the market that are really exciting to you? Yeah, I mean,
4: it, the thing is, it's, gosh, it's crazy because the market is is changing, but at the same time, you are also seeing now this gravitation towards online and search is becoming so expensive in certain categories. Totally, you know, oh, especially yeah. you know, you look at categories like mattresses, right? I mean, how many mattress oh, companies goodness, are there, right? Yeah. So, I would imagine, like, if you if I tried today go out and try to buy like AdWords against mattress, it's pretty high, mm-hmm. right? Versus now, you see these companies saying like, "Oh, great, we're going to spend because." These traditional media like out of home and print and radio has gotten the cost have dropped because all of a sudden, you know, they had to be competitive and online costs are starting to go up Mm -hmm. and especially for certain in certain categories. So you're seeing people gravitate to like literally, like you said earlier, we were talking earlier, like you go back to the old school kind of thinking and and now it's it's you're seeing it all over the place. I mean,
2: Red Dead Redemption was everywhere for their, and obviously, like it's yeah. one of the most famous video games of all time. Right, so, like yeah. bringing it back, you know, whatever it was a decade later is a huge deal. But I mean, they, I have no idea how much money they put into that. Yeah. But like, I felt like I saw five of those ads every single day. Maybe yeah. i in the demo, I don't know. But, right. but, but like, it, it was everywhere.
3: And this is the difference in targeting because I literally have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. Wait, really? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I have, n- I've never yeah. seen a single ad for yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <mean,
2: laughs> sure you have. I know oh you have. <laughs> I
3: know. <laughs> Clearly my brother not letting me play video games as a child has yeah. put me in a different target audience. Right,
2: right. Okay, well so f- for the audience listening that is similar to Lauren, so Red Dead Redemption was like is widely considered like one of the most popular video games of all time yeah. and they just came out with number two which is now also like critically acclaimed like one of the most popular video games and it's like set in the wild west and um, i got nothing yeah anyway <laughs> so it's just it was ridiculously popular so the question like that would be interesting for this group of for both of you is so when something is that popular what is the role in marketing right like yeah. all the people who are going to buy red dead right are going to buy it. So what is this other slice of people who are on the fence where it's like, how many impressions is it for everyone? Because there's so much word of mouth. There's so much influencer stuff. There's so much all this.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that core. I mean, like you said, there's the core group that you know, like knows it's coming out, right? Because they're reading the blogs. They're, you know, everyone, all their buddies are in... Chat rooms and, and tough and on, you know, and even probably other, probably even chatting live on while you're playing another game. Oh, you know? and it's and on and Twitch exactly, constantly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, it's like, exactly.
0: yeah. So, right. Um, so, these, totally. this,
4: that, you know, that audience, right, you're not going to go spend necessarily money other than like making sure everyone, just reminding people of the exact day it's going to be because you want that line outside of the GameStop, yeah, right? Yeah. Or, yep. um, or everyone, you know, kind of getting their pre orders on Amazon. So, that's, I think, one really big component. But then at the same time, there's also this, what about the people on the fence, right? Hey, totally. you know, I've got 50 bucks that I'm going to spend on a game. Mm-hmm. What am I going to spend it on, right? You know, maybe I'm interested, maybe I'm interested in something new, but I'm not like hardcore gamer. So there mm-hmm. still is, I think, a huge way to grow a franchise um, and get people or even gifting, right? I mean, that's another thing, right? Where yeah. especially in order younger audiences, they start to kind of come up. So I, I still think that, you know, obviously marketing plays a role, but, you know, you you have to figure out what it is it you're trying to kind of accomplish with that.
2: All right, let's do some just general marketing stuff. Do you have a favorite campaign
4: you've ever done? Oh, that
3: was my question. Mm.
4: Too slow. Uh. Ooh, favorite campaign that I've ever done. I'd say... Probably if I had to go back, I mean, the Mario Kart campaign on the Wii back, I think it was like probably like 2008. I mean, we had so much fun with that thing. It was just, I mean, you can imagine, right? I mean, not all the ideas came to life, but mm-hmm. I mean, we were just, we wanted to go and like take over, turn like shopping carts into like in all like the retail stores into like race cars and building Mario Karts and and just everything. I mean, it's just, you know, I, and even I'll never forget the commercial, the TV spot that we did for that was a... Uh, like, used car salesman. Is mm-hmm. the name. I think his name was Cowboy Jed. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, the Japanese executive teams, like, you know, see this, like, and they're just kind of like, I don't get it at mm-hmm. all. Right. I mean, it's just not, you know, and I mean, it was kind of like, it almost got like cut, right. Just because of the. You're thing. like, no, trust <laughs> me. Yeah. And I this mean, is... and every, and, I mean, everyone got a laugh. It was, it was, it was a great, but overall, it was just an amazing, I think, campaign just because you had so much fun with it. I mean,
2: it's... did you run. I can't remember if it was an actual campaign or if it was just okay. viral of the people throwing their Wii controller through their TVs. Was that an actual campaign
4: or was that just no, like. No, that was, we, that was strictly verboten. Like, you know, I think the attorneys that would was, not have allowed that. that was, it, but that was a cool thing. There were so many viral campaigns mm-hmm. that created from, from that because it, it, at the time, we was so ingrained in pop culture that there were so many different things that people were, were doing, and you just kind of let people run with it, right? I mean, and that's where it was sometimes the beauty of marketing is that, you know, it's that individually like driven content that we didn't stop. We just let people kind of have their own kind of say with it.
3: And there's definitely something for all marketers to be kind of learn from that is, yeah. especially if we start to give people these exceptional experiences and these really remarkable campaigns. Yeah. That it starts to give them more permission to say, this is how I'm using the product, and it's kind of fun, and it's kind of funny, and I'm going to be public about this. Yeah. And the brand isn't going to squash me or make this feel bad. They're actually going to really encourage this.
4: Yeah, right. And I think a lot of brands have started to, you know, great brands and great marketers have started to figure that out, right, to say, like, no, just – let, let your let customers a, yeah, be
3: themselves yeah
4: absolutely right there was a, I think there was, there was a book it was written years ago called Brand Hijack mm-hmm. where it literally it talked about that. talked about brands that originally the intent like Red Bull was a perfect example of yeah. a mm-hmm. brand that did not start out as an energy drink I mean it literally started out in the clubs of Munich of Germany and Austria right where they were using it to like help people like get jazz and stay up and bartenders were the ones who were like promoting this mm-hmm. product yeah. like they were talking about Doc Martens of being another one right it's an orthopedic shoe <laughs> you know, like that that all of a sudden took on pop culture in the 80s of in, in the UK yep. where you know, with like at like, the punk scene and stuff like that. Like it's, you know, if those brands tried to stop that, like they wouldn't be who they are today. Right.
3: Absolutely. And it's the and it's funny you said that about Doc Martens, because when you hear the name, you're like, yeah. oh, Doc, I, yeah. it could be orthopedic, yeah, 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 yeah. but I immediately associate it with like being a punk rocker yeah, and right, got to yeah. get my Doc Martens. <laughs>
2: You have a worse campaign. You've and it doesn't. You can, you
4: can, <laughs> oh, there's plenty of those. I mean, too. I mean, you can anonymize to maintain innocence. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm. I'm trying to think offhand. I think like I, I think the attributes of bad campaigns are the ones where you could like really over you overthink them, right? Mm-hmm. And you use so much data. And insights to try to get something that it is so, it becomes watered down from the initial thing. Everyone feels like that they have to have their input. And just, you know, as it goes through at every level, like I think the the challenges, especially when I was in, in more junior roles of like not having the voice to be able to like help stop that or mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Because as it goes up, things would just chip away because, well, the data didn't say this or didn't do that. And, and you just, and, you know, and that happens quite often. It's the and, Kendall
2: Jenner Pepsi commercial. It's yeah, like yeah, everybody right. weighed in and they're like, we're going to make something that promotes equality. And it's yeah. like, you're going to make something
4: that 50 executives decided was a good idea. They, they thought was equality. Right. And, yeah. and what ends up happening is that it becomes, you lose the authenticity of it. Yeah. Yep. You lose just, I think, the 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 heart and soul of, I think, the origination of the, of the campaign. And it's not to say that you shouldn't go through and have creative reviews and making sure that there's certain things that, that get placed on that. But and so I, you know, I honestly, I could pinpoint qu- quite a few times where that's happened. I think, and I think, regardless of whether you're in a se- more senior capacity as a marketer, I think you need to make sure that you give the teams the autonomy to be able to let campaigns breathe and to truly be at the essence of it. And similarly, I think, you know, you know, when you're in more junior roles, be able to have that voice and, and to, to fight for for those things that you believe in. Ready for the
2: lightning round?
3: Yes, right. right. the part, out, part out lightning round, part out pop <laughs> quiz.
2: <laughs> Pardot lightning round. Quick and easy. All right. Just like B2B marketing with Pardot. These are quick and easy questions. Okay. We didn't share them with you. All you have right. no idea what's coming. Okay. Can hey, I do ready? the first one? Yeah,
4: go ahead. Okay. All right.
3: What's the favorite book you've read recently?
4: Um, I'm currently reading a book called The Billion Dollar Whale with this Joe Lowe, who um, basically is the... Said he he ran the Malaysian Sovereign Wealth Fund. And, like, this guy was, like, throwing the most epic parties, like, ever. It's a really interesting read. um, But it also shows you, like, human nature, how, like, this whole kind of idea of, like, everyone just wants to be a part of, like, something unique. And
2: We all need to collectively reread Great Gatsby. Yeah. And just be like... Right, yeah. it's like how many Great Gatsby's do we it, need to have? Yeah. Like the Fire Festival it's, is like literally oh, just mm. it's, bash bash. it's just oh. Great Gatsby, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like all this stuff, like these. Can these, yeah. and a lot of times I, I feel
3: like it. we need to do an entire episode on what you learned from a marketing perspective yeah. from the Fire Festival. Yeah, oh, I know we the good know. and the bad because yeah. there was it's, from pure marketing take out everything else. There was good marketing. Well, the, the video
4: was <laughs> epic, Amazing. right? I mean, no, it was the yeah. best, right? I mean, and um, oh yeah, there's definitely good and bad, but I mean, yeah, the you bad. Had me at ja Rule. The, ba- yeah. the
3: bad was ja so bad. <laughs>
4: that conference call,
0: was so bad. So we, uh, <laughs>
2: my my old roommate in college, used to not is not a fan of Jaw Rule, uh-huh. and uh, when I pull like an all nighter at, uh, and this is at West Point, so it's like <laughs> not even allowed to do that, but uh, <laughs> so we like pull an all nighter. Me and my other roommate. And we'd wake up our roommate by, uh, we called it jaw in the morning. So we played play roll, ja <laughs> role. Uh, and he would be so mad. Oh, it was great. Um,
4: but gosh, lightning round. All right, lightning. More lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh,
3: what's the favorite show you've been watching?
4: I don't watch a ton of shows or TV right now. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, Billions coming back on. Uh, I think that airs, uh, I think, in a couple weeks. Or I feel like there's
3: that. a theme here.
4: <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> what uh, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun this is gonna sound boring and corporate but I tell you right now I think one of the things we've integrated Slack so much into I think our company um, and I the see. culture that, that is so much fun because everyone just shares you know the amount of gifts and, and just the things that people share on there and you know I think we've you know of allow for a lot of leniency too mm-hmm. I think so as a relatively small company that it's just you still have a lot of fun with it, and, and people just are very playful, and, and this whole cool idea that we've literally, even a company that has 15 stores spread throughout the, the U.S. and, and all in and two different offices, that everyone just connects with one another and knows, like, we literally, everyone knows one another, even though they've never physically met one mm-hmm. another, just because of, like, Slack and, and the fun nature of it. You so, get to
3: be yourself. Yeah, the, the bot stuff
2: is so bizarre. I had a growth yeah. Dylan who's awesome and a wizard. He wrote a bot called Toasty Bot, mm-hmm. which is the name of uh, our mascot and uh, Chad and '70s dog. And Toasty Bot pings me every time we have a lead. Okay, <laughs> and so it's like Toasty Bot's like rough, rough. We have a lead, and yeah. it's like all oh, this like it's really <laughs> silly.
4: But anyways, um, uh,
3: what's the worst advice you've ever had?
4: Uh, that there's no such thing as a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> Because there are. <laughs> Hopefully, not too many from today.
3: <laughs> and you're like, actually, yeah. I will walk you through the last 17 stupid questions.
2: <laughs> um, do you have a favorite ad that you've seen recently that you were envious of? Fire Festival?
4: Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I think the most ones are probably. Again, I don't watch a ton of TV, so it's like. But I did go through and, and watched all the ads you know, from the Super Bowl. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. if there's anything you know, that was even memorable for me that was coming out of that. But uh, um, apparently not. Yeah, I yeah. know. No, no. There's nothing that's really sticking in my head right now. That's just like if something comes back in, I'll I'll let you know.
2: Final question: What thing are you most excited about for the future of marketing? I
4: think it. And again, it goes back to like this whole thing is what what's old is new, mm-hmm. right? Is that the the essence of I used to like always laugh when people like oh word of mouth marketing I'm like that's that's what marketing is like. That's how yeah. it's a, like. It was really one person from one village would tell somebody else that they saw something, and then you would you buy this thing. I think to me, it, it really just it, the it's whole idea of experiential, right? I mean, the, uh, this this notion of in 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 an authentic way, right? I mean, of just that you're going back in and you're going into stores and you're engaging with you know people that can talk about a product or that's excited that are excited about it, or whether you know it's somebody who owns something, you know, and. I think the only thing that's changed is the channels and what you're doing it, right? I mean, when you think about... You know, I'll go back to, like, Fire Festival, right? I mean, like, everyone, you know, it's like, oh, did you see the documentary, right? I mean, it's like everyone totally. starts talking about it, and that becomes, and you may post it. You may text your friend. You may send somebody, you know, like, post something mm-hmm. on online. But all of a sudden, it's the, the maybe the means and the, and the forum of which we're marketing has changed. But literally, at the end of the day, it literally comes down to, I think, that just unbridled excitement that people have for things. And then the authenticity you talk about, you know, it's a product that you want people to, to experience experience. experience, how you talk about it. That's what to me, like I find is so exciting. And I feel like we're starting to get back to, I think, to kind of the core roots of that. Last, last question. Last, last lastly. What is your advice for first time CMO? I think it goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier in the sense as you have to, I think you have to trust the team. You know, when you, you have, I think it's for any leader, like when you, if you're coming up and, and, you know, you go from being an individual contributor to leading teams, you know, you have you have to let go, right? You have to let go of control at some point in time. And you need to trust the people who you've empowered to make decisions to, you know, that are talented, brought on the team to allow them to do the things that they do extremely well. It's not to say that you can't have touch points and that you shouldn't be, you know, talking with people along the way and, and, and providing guidance and being a mentor, but you have to ultimately trust. You can't do it all yourself. I mean, it's just literally impossible. And you just need to be able to trust, you know, the teams and and the people around you. Love it. Thanks so much for hanging out today
2: and letting us uh, hang out at, uh, at the HQ. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes.
0: You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.